Hitting the Wall The first time Cassandra passed through the wall, she hadn't meant to. She had been standing at the edge of a retirement party at the hospital where she worked, feeling as uncomfortable as usual, when she leaned against the wall and fell right through. The wall was still intact, but a gritty residue of plaster coated her tongue. The sour flavor was almost pleasant, and her internal organs felt scrubbed. If it hadn't been so wrong, it would have felt right. She spit the residue into a wastebasket and re-entered the party. No one had noticed she was gone. She had always had boundary issues. The first time she heard the term was in her disastrous first marriage. You're invading my boundaries, her then-husband shouted one snowy evening after they had been driving around screaming at each other for 20 minutes. They ended up in a cemetery. Boundaries, she said, looking at the snow-covered tombstones that hunched under the high beams. What are those? The marriage ended as quickly as it began. She connected to people instantly, feeling the bitter peel and raw substance of them, wanting to skip the small talk and get to the core, because time was passing like a speeding bullet about to burst life's membrane. Sure, energy couldn't be destroyed, but once the body, that elaborate conduit of energy named Cassandra, died, the energy would disperse and become unrecognizable to itself. Maybe this was why she also felt a keen separation from people. The phone rarely rang for her, nor did the text messages ping. In fact, if it hadn't been for her second husband and their daughter, she would have been lonely. Together, the three of them lived in a bubble of paradise, feeding each other at dinner time with bare fingers. Not surprisingly, neither her husband nor her daughter blinked that night when she shared with them that she had fallen through the wall earlier that day. From then on, Cassandra began to pass through walls on purpose. She'd press herself against her friends' and colleagues' walls like soft cheese through a grater, and then she'd coalesce on the other side. They never saw her because people only see what they expect. She, on the other hand, saw more than she expected, a myriad of details that people weren't sharing. Usually it was something small, like the fact that Deirdre, a stocky woman who had been her office mate for five years, who wore three-inch heels that made her calf muscles bulge, picked her nose when Cassandra was out of the office. Or that the director of marketing had a leaky bladder and kept pads in the back of her desk drawer. Other times, it was something momentous, like when Barbara, an admission clerk, was quietly making burial arrangements for her husband, who had hanged himself. Yet Barbara had greeted her every day with the exact same smile. Each time Cassandra passed through a wall, her organs felt sifted, but her feelings grew more and more clouded. Not by what she discovered, but by the fact that so many people assiduously maintained such facades. She couldn't understand why. You might restrain yourself, her husband said with a smile at dinner one night when she explained what she was doing. He wiped up the last of the hummus with a carrot stick and held it to her mouth. But why, she asked, letting him feed her. He shrugged. People like their privacy. But I've never bothered to cover my birthmark, she said, referring to the irregular wine-colored splotch on her left jawline. If someone asked me how my day was, 
I'd tell them if it was crappy. Who is anyone kidding? That's why we love you, her teenage daughter said, still in her bony stage, as she plucked a Concord grape from Cassandra's plate and squeezed it until it burst into her mouth. After dinner, while watching TV, Cassandra braided and unbraided her daughter's hair, and her daughter, in turn, outlined her wine-colored birthmark with a blue ballpoint pen. It looks like a ruby-throated hummingbird now, her daughter said, holding up a hand mirror. Cassandra looked at it distractedly. It did indeed look like a hummingbird, with its long beak probing the line of her jaw, wings reared along her cheek. She smiled, not looking at the rest of her face. Sometimes, when she shared personal things with others, they called her brave. Cassandra rejected this assessment, except the day that the topic of abortion came up in the cafeteria one lunch period. The most outspoken loudly proclaimed it murder. She felt compelled to admit that she'd had an abortion at the end of her first marriage, and that even though she grieved the choice, she knew that giving up that fetus, and she used that word on purpose, had cleared the way to finding her second husband. Her daughter wouldn't exist without that sacrifice. Sharing this information had cost her a few heartbeats and a red face, but she wanted the silent among them to know that decent people make difficult choices. When she told Deirdre this story, Deirdre gasped, pulling her chin back into her neck so that it formed a temporary double chin and said, Oh, I'd never do that. Caught off guard, Cassandra didn't think to ask if she meant the abortion or the admission of it. For a few weeks after that admission, when she passed people in the hall and made flickering eye contact with them, her smiles came out like grimaces as she wondered if they'd heard the gossip about her and judged her. Nevertheless, she believed in the power of truth. Truth was supposed to set you free, after all, wasn't it? One day, coming back from the x-ray department, rather than opening the office door with her key, Cassandra pressed herself through the wall. Deirdre hunched over her desk and whispered vehemently into the phone, Why don't you touch me anymore? Is there someone else? She had kicked her pumps off under her desk and tucked her feet around the base of her desk chair. Cassandra stayed long enough to figure out that Deirdre was arguing with her husband and pressed herself back out. She waited a few minutes, then put the key to the lock. Deirdre, just hanging up the phone, turned to greet her brightly, her pumps now back on. How are you, Cassandra asked. Fine, Deirdre said. How's the family, Cassandra persisted. After a fractional pause, Deirdre replied, Jim just got us tickets to a Broadway show. Can't wait. How's your family? Cassandra leaned toward her for a second, ready to tell her what she had just done and seen, but the smooth expression on Deirdre's face bleached the intention out of her. Fine, Cassandra said, turning her face away and sitting down to her computer screen. All these discoveries would have been fine if she possessed verbal discretion, but one morning, her office mate answered her usual, how are you, with, I'm a little tired today. Cassandra, unthinking, asked, Are things any better with your husband? Deirdre stiffened, her pupils constricting like a hermit crab pulling back into its shell, and then she averted her eyes and excused herself. 
Since that day, relations with Deirdre had been strained. Another time, in the cafeteria, in a conversation about fitness with the director of marketing, Cassandra took the opportunity to slip in that she heard that Kegel exercises could help with incontinence. The director ended their conversation gracefully, claiming that she had just remembered an appointment. Cassandra couldn't tell if it was true or not. Over time, it seemed that most of the people she knew avoided eye contact with her and kept their conversations shorter than usual. But she might have been imagining it. At night, the closed circuit of her family's love still glowed in the surrounding darkness. But at work, she grew more and more angry. Why didn't they like her? She had so much to give. She was kind, compassionate, and non-judgmental. In defiance, she continued to press herself through the walls, as if the more she did it, the more right it would be. But the weight of people's distrust and judgment, real or imagined, began to compact her. Each time she pressed through a wall, it got harder to do, until finally, one day, she pressed herself up against a wall, and both her body and the wall remained solid. She drew back, ran her hand over its smooth surface, and tried again. No go. After she stopped passing through walls, she found it easier to keep her thoughts to herself. Though her relationship with Deirdre never recovered, and the director of marketing still gave her only strained smiles, new friendships grew, like invasive weeds easily plucked. The freedom this new kind of truth had brought her wasn't the kind she wanted. Maybe her husband was right, and it was only anxiety. Maybe she created the disconnection by a deeply internalized insecurity. Then again, maybe she saw a potential for something others rarely availed themselves of. She and her family continued their orbit in a tiny, sun-filled universe, and occasionally the phone rang for her and texts pinged. But they felt more like distractions than the deep connections she craved. Sometimes, at the end of day at work, when the late afternoon sun slanted through her office window like an orange lozenge, she would touch the wall beside her desk and hunger for the sour prick of plaster on her tongue as if it was the only food left on earth.